After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi, it's Mind Rolling, Raghu, Marcus here with you, and a newfound friend, I'm pretty sure, because we have a very similar sense of humor, and we're going to talk about that, J.P. Sears, and J.P., uh, you guys, a lot of you guys got to know who J.P. is, he's got that wild internet channel, uh, YouTube channel, internet channel, YouTube channel, um, and uh, satirist. Is, is the word, right, that's used in your uh, little bio. And uh, I have to, t- uh, so it's all around, of course, yoga and the spiritual path, pretty much. And so those of you who, um, if anybody gets offended, don't talk to JP. You can call me because I have the same sentiments. In fact, JP... I did a pilot years back, a little before its time, before you. Uh, It was called Yoga Madness. It was basically everything that you've been doing, we did in this 30-minute pilot, which didn't get sold. We were trying to go for the big brass ring over, you know, Showtime, HBO, that kind of stuff. And they were like, huh? Yoga a wayward yoga teacher taking advantage <laughs> of his female students, etc. I don't know. Um, and uh, I'll I'll tell more about that because it was a fun fun time. But uh, welcome to the show, JP. Well, thank you, Raghu. I'm so happy to be here with you, brother. I'm grateful you've invited me on. And if I would have been an executive at HBO or Showtime, I assure you Yoga Madness would have got picked up. <laughs> Sounds like an awesome show to me. Yeah, it, was, it was crazy. Uh, it's um, Just take me back a little. I've actually heard everybody out there. We've never met, okay? This is our first 10 seconds together. But I th- did I hear you teach yoga is, or well, have you, taught you, yoga? Previously. You you might have heard that. I would say that's probably inaccurate, though. Actually, oh, really? a, a lot of people assume that I do teach yoga. My my professional roots in the we'll call it the spiritual world. For the past fifteen years, I've been doing emotional healing uh, coaching with uh, my one on one client practice and going around the world teaching workshops, retreats. Uh, so yoga is something I've never dabbled in professionally. I, I, I practice yoga in my personal life, not nearly as much as my body would like, I might add. Uh, 
uh, and I'm dating a yoga teacher. Uh, so that's, that does that count? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Your Amber, thank you for increasing my yoga street credit. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but you know what? If you're you're doing workshops, and and I'm I'm supposing they're around helping people deal with emotions and so on, and um, at the same time, it's probably part of the big yoga, which is yoking us, yoking ourselves back to the one or however which way you want to put it so uh i'm so that you know that leads me to believe that you are fully ensconced in the entire path that is generally called yoga although we were talking about hatha yoga yeah well i think you're absolutely right i appreciate your bigger eyed point of view on that rather than just sort of how we in the west and obviously i just fell into the guilty trap of that kind of, you know, tunnel vision, what yoga is. It's mm-hmm. that thing you do in a strip mall with, you know, 30 other people. So yeah, I, it's very refreshing to hear you reaffirm more and point to like what yoga really is. Okay. But, uh, uh this is, I got you on the spot now. We're a PBS interview, JP Sears. <laughs> I'm nervous already. What is yoga? That's a good question. Depends on what part of me uh, you're asking. I think one part of me, uh, the way I actually I like to interpret yoga in the bigger sense is it's about connecting to our true nature, connecting, therefore connecting to oneness, therefore connecting to our true self. So at the heart of it, that's, uh, that's my definition of what yoga is. And uh, so... Of course, so and you have been spending many years guiding people and holding workshops. You just mentioned all of this kind of uh, the different elements that interest you, and I'm not sure what they are. If they're a little bit more Buddhist, if they're a little bit more, or if they're Eastern or Western. I mean, we can start with the big picture, but um, whatever it is, there's something in it that I am sure that you are uh, sharing with your individual clients and your, and your, uh, retreats and workshops and everything else. And, uh, so what led you, so there's an obvious gravitas around, I mean, you're dealing with somebody who needs help and you help them, right? Sure. What's the next step that rings your brain about suddenly doing those videos on YouTube. By the way, folks, you, you know, what what's the YouTube? I want to tell it right now. Sure. My YouTube and Facebook uh, pages are Awaken with JP. Awaken with JP. Okay, folks, get up there on that YouTube channel like now uh, as soon as you get <laughs> off this. And, uh, and by the way, this book is hilarious. We're, we're going to get into it. I'm kind of winding my way into it. Uh, but uh, How to Be Ultra Spiritual, J.P. Sears, and it brought to you by my friends at uh, Sounds True, and that's available like now. It just came available yesterday, right? Yeah, so, the, the power of now in book form yeah. with a different title. Yeah. It's available <laughs> now. Small, small difference. Um, and by the way, folks, would you go through the BeHereNowNetwork.com portal, Amazon portal, so we can get a little support because uh, we got a few shekels. It's right there in the menu. You just got to copy and paste it into your bookmark browser. And whenever you want something from Amazon, 
who I don't care what their corporate policies are at all. They deliver, man. They are terrific. Okay. <laughs> I can get a fridge tomorrow from Amazon if I want. So, uh, all right. So how to be ultra spiritual. We usually do that at the end, but, uh, I just, I, uh, I just, um, I had such fun with this that, uh, I had to get everybody out there right now and get this thing. Oh, um, well, th thank you for riling people up. Yeah. And of course, I'm grateful for anybody inspired to pick up my new book, you know, poured my heart and soul into it. And, and Raghu, your question about what got me from, you know, working with people in their, their, the de intimate depths of their heart to doing the, the comedy. And, I really have to cite first and foremost, it's it's a personal rite of passage that I went through that's allowed me to add a, a, a new tool to my professional repertoire, the tool of comedy. It's, it's a language uh, that I share perspectives in. It's not the only language, but it's one of them. And why I call it a personal rite of passage, it really represents me honoring myself to a deeper degree, not apologizing for who I am, not trying to restrict uh, my true self and only letting aspects of me out that I think will be well received by the world. So for the first roughly 13 years or so of my career, I told myself a story worse yet, I believe this story, that it would be terrible for business to let my sense of humor come out. Like what it would discredit me professionally because emotionally healing people, spiritual teachers, they're not supposed to be funny. I mean, they're supposed to crack one little joke once in a while when they're on stage. That's not even really funny, but everybody laughs just because it's a little bit of a pattern interrupt. And and so I had really sold myself the story that that's who I'm supposed to be. And, and that was you know, very much a complete betrayal to myself because, you know, the looking at Eckhart Tolle and thinking I'm supposed to be like that. Well, Eckhart Tolle is supposed to be like Eckhart Tolle and he does a great job of it. And thank God he is himself. And what a disservice it was for me to think that I was supposed to be like him. So, you know, uh, about two and a half years ago, I finally got sick and tired of betraying myself. And, and I decided I'm going to make a comedy video. I'm going to share a satirical point of view about essentially the spiritual culture, uh, you know, telling people how to be spiritual by modeling how not to do it under the guise of this is how to do it. And, and I might add, by the time I finally worked up the courage to honor myself enough to make that first comedy video, I still thought it would be terrible for business. So I, I re I'm like, well, this is bad for business, but I got to do it because I'm, I'm just inspired. I can't hold back anymore. And uh, I published that first video and it turned out I was dead wrong. That started you know, a, a line of me expressing my uh, humor, that is expressing deeper messages embedded in the language of humor. And, and that's been the best thing I've ever done for my business. And that, that taught me a couple things. One, don't believe everything you think, JP. You thought this was going to be bad for business. You were dead wrong. You fool. Don't believe everything you think. 
Uh, one of the other things that taught me is uh, I will always win when I'm true to myself. I will always lose when I'm trying to be true to what I think I'm supposed to be or when I'm trying to be true to how someone else is. So that those were important lessons for me. And I, I'll, I'll also add that being a comedian, that's not all of me. It's a part of me. It would be equally betrayal, uh, betraying of myself to try to cut out the sincere parts of me that need to just speak intimately and honestly and vulnerably. So I, I'm, I've over the past couple years of this segment of my hero's journey, if you will, I've uh, learned to collect some parts of me that had been a part and integrating these parts of me into more of a harmonious whole of myself. It's been a, a very fulfilling healing rite of passage for me to be the blind man stumbling through. Mm. I like that harmonious whole. Yeah, uh, everybody loves or something. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you want to see? Here's what he's talking about, though. Okay, here's a here's a little. It's part of a chapter. It's called uh, "Religious Hell." As a striving ultra spiritualist, you're not religious. You're better than that. You're spiritual. One of the most spiritual things you can ever do is not being religious. Religion is the least spiritual chair in which to sit, and I say that without any bias whatsoever toward the variety of chairs and religions in the world. Different religions all say the same thing in different ways, which makes them all the same, which makes them samely unspiritual. <laughs> I think it was the Pope who said that religion is the sewer system of consciousness. That's great. Where did you get that? Why would the Pope say such a thing? Uh... Probably because religious means flushing your spiritual potential down the toilet. No judgment here, just observations. Although I guess I understand, I don't, the appeal of still believing in a perverted Santa Claus who operates under a pseudonym. I'm not here to praise St. Nick. I'm here to bury him once and for all under the char charnel heap of deficiently spiritual beliefs. <laughs> Accordingly, let's take a look at some of the countless drawbacks of being religious. Terrific. Oh, thank you for that, my friend. I appreciate you sharing some laughs. And and yeah, for me, it, it feels good to shine the light on some of the shadows that I think in one way or another, we can all relate to. Some of the shadows would be, you know, we rebel against something. In this case, you know, some of us spiritualists. Uh, we we rebel against religion because that's where we came from and we need to be better than that. And I find it fascinating, hilarious, and scary how we tend to become that which we rebel against. Yeah, I think w when we try to escape something, we drive ourselves much deeper into the thing that we're trying to defiantly escape. And thank God we do that because we have unresolved issues with it. And if we could truly escape it, then I don't think we'd ever have the uh, blessing of resolving our issues. Mm -hmm. So uh, you're, the the passage you read, it's a, you know, a play of how a lot of us spiritualists think we're above religion, but we don't realize we're actually modeling the very 
tendencies that we despise most yeah. in religion. Yeah. We be we don't like the religious dogma, so we become dogmatically undogmatic. Yeah. I can't have dogma, and that's our new dogma. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm rebelling against this stinking usher in my synagogue that every time we went in we had to give him, you know, show our tickets to get into the high holiday things. And then so he got real close. You had to give him the ticket. And I was a kid. The stench that came out of his breath. It, it just it was Lucifer. I thought I was in church getting <laughs> it was terrible. That's what I rebelled against. I couldn't I mean that set up my whole the rest of my life regarding I got to get out of this religion and get into another <laughs> one. The power of smell bringing it to the new yeah, level. Really. I love it. <laughs> oh, oh that is fun. But I don't know how many times I myself have said, I can remember saying in some time in the past, no, no, it's not about fucking religion. It's a spiritual, spiritual, not religion. You know, like dogmatically, way beyond dogmatically. I mean, <laughs> so... Yeah. Oh boy, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, as you know, uh, I work closely with Ramdas, and or don't know. I'm not sure what you know about all of us, actually. Uh, all I know is that I don't know. That's and it. And all I know is to not believe everything I think. Yes. And not believe that everything I think is all that I think. But yeah, working with Ramdas, yeah. please go on. No, so it's about uh, much of his work, really, uh, the thread that, or the thing that has attracted people all these years so much is self honesty and humor. <laughs> I mean, that's stuff before he yeah. had his stroke. I'm sure you've heard a, a talk or something. I mean, he was he was a Lenny Bruce of spiritual talks, period. I mean, he yeah. was and part of it was he was really honest with himself. And so he, he talked a lot about how we get rid of something and, oh, we've got this whole new Eastern little jewel. And now we're going to make that my jewel <laughs> and you better like it. And here's what I got to say about it. And here's my relationship to it. Yeah. So, yeah, that, yeah that's a common there, thing. There, I think there's no question that that absolutely was one of the rays of light amongst others. Uh, and this brilliant person that attracted many people. And also, if you can hear the airplane, yes. I apologize. I, it sounds like I'm getting dive bombed. Yeah, really. uh, we'll see if I live through this discussion. <laughs> But I I find something magical that certainly Ram Dass uh, is a I mean portrays beautifully when we can combine playfulness and honesty there is just I I think an openness that that facilitates like when we're being honest not trying to set ourselves up like we're holier than thou but we realize even if I'm in the role of a teacher I too am a human being. I've got my challenges. I've got those things that I judge to be my flaws. I've got my wounds. So when we can be honest, I think that sets us up to be very real with other people. And we're open with ourselves. So I think we facilitate that in other people. We're kind of vibrating at the energy of openness. And then beyond the honesty, when we can be playful, uh, you know, speaking a message that has playfulness in it. I think there's a, a fascinating gift that gives the listener. It gives the listener the gift of a pretty undefended ego. 
to me, the energy of playfulness, it's very soft, supple, bit of a feminine energy. It doesn't look like there's anything to defend against. So our psychological defenses that come up like a force field don't need to come up. So a message can get in, not for brainwashing, but for consideration so that we can consider what I'm hearing. Is this for me or not? But when there's not the playfulness involved, for me at least, and especially if there's not the honesty, you know, the, the message comes in more of a serious tone and it's like, okay, now this is a force pushing against me. And funny thing happens is we want to maintain our center of gravity, both physically and I think psychologically. So as much as I wish it didn't happen, my psychological defenses come up Mm. and I, I, even gently so, I'll have a push against that which is coming in. So it makes it harder for me, for us to consider when there's not that childlike playfulness involved. Yeah. Uh, involved. And I think the Dalai Lama does yeah, it as well. Beautifully, yes, absolutely. Do you, so the question is, do you, I, I tell you, even in, in making of this Yoga Madness pilot and just telling people about it, I got a little bit of flack. I actually, and they didn't even see the thing. I mean, I might have said this. It's it's really about this guy who takes advantage. I mean, there's an, there's many. Shall we say many yoga studios had men owners taking advantage, if not taking advantage, at least having fun, at the very least. Yeah. Uh, and so just that premise alone was wow. You're 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 messing up the purity of of yoga and people going to the studios and being able to really yoke into the what the real practice is and so on. How could you do this when we're trying to establish this in America? This was, you know, 10 years ago or something. You yeah, don't like get you've, that? Di- you've dispelled the family secret. How dare you? We need to keep the shadows secret yeah. so that we can keep this family stable, says every family as well as the yoga family and everything. So I think, uh, have you ever, I'm curious, have you ever read the work of John Bradshaw? I know of him. I can't say I've read. But his work is amazing. I mean, really into the heart and soul of the sewer system uh, of our lives. One of his book is Healing the Shame That Binds You. Another of his books is uh, Family Secrets. And and I just point him out because I think he represents the topic beautifully. And it's human nature to to keep secrets, especially within our tribe, be it our family growing up or our new tribe, if we call that yoga or the Buddhist community. And we keep secrets in the name of keeping the tribe alive. However, the more we keep secrets the more it actually restricts the life and the connection within the tribe, in my opinion. So I think it's incredibly healthy, though scary and takes a lot of courage to dispel secrets. Uh, the, those things that everybody knows at some level, but everybody also knows to act like nobody knows. The Catholic Church had their p- big time secrecy. And you point out, I think, very beautifully with the pilot you did, the the secrets in the yoga culture. I mean, teachers taking advantage of students or crossing a line that some of us would say that's a line of authority you shouldn't cross. So I think that it's one of the greatest 
justices, we can do one of the greatest acts of service is shine the light on secrets. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm agreeing. And to me, it's uh, in terms of why I wanted to to even do this, which is, you know, asking you the question of how did you, because it wasn't, I mean, I'm doing stuff now that's, I like humor. I work a lot with Duncan Trussell. I don't know if you know Duncan. Sure. And, uh, you know, he's he's a great example of, of, of that combination of humor and verite, you know. And he, uh, he he's, uh, he's taught me a lot that way, actually. Mm. And, you know, he's a professional comedian. So he's got a gift, obviously. But at the same time, he's, he's uh, just a fabulous person. He's our guru, by the way. Duncan is our guru, <laughs> podcast guru. He rails against that, but it's really true. So, um, but my thing was more about, it was so self-serious, the shit yeah. that goes on. And I used to travel to a lot of yoga centers because of Krishna Das, who we had the, this uh, label together, and, and, and it's where he started uh putting out records and so on, uh, Kirtan records, and he started traveling. I mean, you know, we were in yoga centers and there was like, you know, 50 people. That was like great or something, you know, maybe 100 after that. Now it's forget about it. Uh, So I experienced head-on the self-seriousness that went on Mm. around, and and I had been going to India and I had been with Ninkaroli Baba, for a long, long time. We've gone back with Ram Dass and Krishna Das and I and others. And uh, so I I had a real idea, a real idea, okay? That doesn't mean I know. It's a real idea. It's maybe an idea that maybe I feel like I'm, maybe I'm a little closer to about what yoga really is. And so uh, I, I, I was offended. <laughs> so I wanted to do this thing that would just tear that down. The, the self-seriousness about yoga. Yeah, I, I love it. And and that's something that I hope I'm doing in my own way. And and is there backlash? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, wh- anytime you show someone what they don't want to see, even if they need to see it, uh, they won't like what they're seeing in the mirror. And I think oftentimes our human nature has it that we'll get angry at the mirror instead of angry at who's looking in the mirror. And, and that's okay. And, and, and personally, as sort of like the an artist, if you will, I also want to be very mindful to come from a place of sincerity and uh, high intention. Because I realize it's you can get cheap laughs hurting people. Mm. You really can. And you can also get cheap laughs hurting people while also justifying it as, oh, I'm helping people. I'm just pointing out the obvious. And if they get offended, it's just because, you know, they don't like what they see in the mirror. So I realize exactly what I'm saying could be a rationalization covering up being a mean person. So I do my very best to come as pure as I can to always help never harm. And I, I hope I walk that line balanced at least most of the time. And and with that said, when there's the collateral of people getting offended, uh, I'm okay with that. 
you know, I would never want to rob someone from uh, a new level of self-awareness. And I think when we're, when we get offended, what happens is we just became aware of something about ourselves that we don't like, and we wish we didn't see it. We wish we were unaware of it, but now I'm going to shoot the messenger. Now I'm going to get angry at the mirror who just showed me something about me that I've worked my whole life to compartmentalize and suppress mm-hmm. so I could pretend it's not there. So I, I believe when we get offended, there's an inherent insecurity about ourselves that we've just made connection with. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I even released a video called How to Get Offended, <laughs> uh, just portraying, you know, when we're <laughs> looking in the the eyes of a secret about self or a secret about our community, mm. uh, we like to shoot the messenger. Mm. However, I think the messenger we want to shoot is always carrying a sacred message about self. And we can shoot the message, messenger in an effort to try to avoid self or we can feel our emotional charge, be self-responsible for it, and let it direct our awareness inward as opposed yeah. to just outward and outrage. Although I must tell you, I, I've i always wanted there to, to appear doing a show. It would be Larry David as a, as a sincere yogi kind of a thing. <laughs> that, of course, he does absolutely hurt people with every word he says. So it's a little bit weird. Uh, but no, no, that's a great fantasy. I think that would be very yeah, entertaining. I love Larry David. <laughs> I'm bad. Um, <laughs> I like the self-diagnosis. Uh, you're, you're finally diagnosed. I am bad. I am bad. I'm bad. Um, you know what? This yoga madness thing, uh, it proved to me, though, uh, on one level... Uh, what started to happen is we put a script together and hired actors, and we mm-hmm. went through that process, and that didn't kind of work out. And then I bumped into another producer. He said, well, let's make this a um, a real thing. Like, we'll find somebody who has a studio who will let us come in and shoot stuff, and, you know, let's see how it happens in real life. Well, let me tell you, they found somebody, and... Anything we could have put in the script didn't compare to the madness that went on in this studio. I mean... Oh, that, that sounds hilarious it was a, in a creepy way. Uh, yeah, I guess there was a little of that. I mean, it got to to the point where... I mean, this is really... God, I hope he's not listening. Um, he was a surfer dude, and he was really bucked out, handsome guy, and... So a lot of, and it was in Southern California, obviously, down the beach somewhere, you know, south of L.A., and it was like a perfect scenario. How this, we found, I don't know who found this, but it was beyond the beyond. And he, he was a good yogi. I mean, he could do yoga, and he could teach it well. And he had a really nice studio, and everybody in that studio must have been a Hollywood actress just down the road. I mean, they were all absolutely gorgeous, okay? And so from there, if you can use your wildest imagination of what went on, he had a birthday party. We sent over the uh, producer and the director and the cameraman to shoot this party. It got to the point where the guys shooting it go, you know what? I can't do this. I'm married, Okay, that's oh wow. Yeah, it was really uh, that should tell you a lot about, but but the thing that and it's happened to me before. There was nothing we could ever write or dream up that was 
as mad as the reality of some of these situations, which is all in this book. By the way, I'm going to hold up the book because we're doing video. Okay, J.P. Sears. What a what a handsome looking cover model, don't you think, yes. Raghu? Yes, and the expression is the sincerity that is just radiating off. The ultra sincerity is fantastic. It's Jesus. <laughs> I think the the auric field of the book typically measures about thirty five feet in diameter. And they, they say you're not supposed to judge a book by the cover, but you can judge a book by the cover model. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I got it. Here's another little thing. Which came first, the yogi or the yoga? Yogi bear. Aside from Eastern yoga, this is great, JP. Aside from Eastern yoga trying to scam you for inventive credit, they're doing even deviouser deeds. Is that in the dictionary, devious, sir? I, I, I haven't seen it before. You know, probably not. No. When the publisher, when we were in like the one of the rounds of editing and they'd say, JP, um, you know, this word, it's not in whatever Chicago Webster dictionary. And I said, well, my creativity doesn't abide by the <laughs> Chicago whatever the hell dictionary. Yeah, right. They're like, gotcha, no problem. <laughs> okay, aside from Eastern Yoga trying to scam you for inventive credit, uh, they're doing even devious or deeds in their yoga studio knockoffs. And what are they called? Ashrams. The yoga studio knockoffs. Eastern yogis pollute the pure spiritual waters that spring from Western yoga. It's heartbreaking to see those Easterners bastardize the legitimacy of real yoga with their emphasis on what? Inward connection. And stillness. And attempts to reach samadhi. Talk about desperately swinging for the fences during a t-ball game. Sitting still doesn't accomplish anything unless you're meditating. And you can't call what they do meditation because it's Eastern yoga. And you can't call that yoga because it's Eastern yoga. Worse yet, these pointless practices displace the true treasure of actual yogic principles of yoga from yoga. Sometimes after I'm reading this, I get into the book. I don't even know what you're talking about or what I'm thinking. I get so completely, it's fantastic. Without the yogic fortune of these principles, your practice is doing nothing to increase your flow. If you find yourself in what you suspect is an Eastern yoga class, don't panic. Quietly stand up, walk outside, and then panic. <laughs> Oh, oh I love your appreciation of that and your last, my brother. Yeah, I do. I'm the right person to do this uh, this little podcast with you and your new book, I think, because I don't know. I really appreciate it. And people, you know, I know people that absolutely are, you know, and it's true. You know, you see a little, I see a little of myself in different things that I read in this book and I'm going, wait a minute, this is just a fucking spare satirical book it's not supposed to have any kind of redeeming anything meanwhile i am i i mean uh what's this this is great i'm sorry to read this uh, you know you don't get a chance to get a word in edgewise jp but this <laughs> might sell some books you never know um just when you thought that feeling nothing forever was the goal let me shatter your assumption with the one and only exception you should feel happy. Happiness should be your omnipresent state of being. It's not only what's most enjoyable and authentic, it's what's most spiritual. 
Always being happy, at least looking happy, <laughs> implies the implication, <laughs> implies the implication that you're mainlining higher consciousness. All emotions that aren't happiness are negative emotions, right? That's right. That's the bottom line. And all negative, see, right there and then, this is a true teaching. This is what we really do believe. We do believe that anything that goes on that's not smooth move is, forget about it, right? And all negative emotions are based on fear, the fear of being happy. Another truism, very true. There's two kinds of happiness that we're talking about here. That's why we can get into complexities. Happiness is therefore the only emotion that's above fear, which of course makes it the most spiritual of emotions. When you're happy, you're being spiritual. What can you do when you're not happy? Simply choose happiness. Right? So in there is, is a lot of stuff that's so true and, uh, and a lot of stuff that's uh, the reality of how we deal with life. So is it, yeah. you have an intention here. That's what I'm trying to get at. Did you have intention Ooh, for, there? Oh, absolutely. To me, the, the purpose of using the language of comedy is because comedy is a language of connection. I can reach a lot of people. So I want to have deeper messages embedded in the comedy uh, to reach deeper into the people that the comedy reaches. And, you know, one of them mentioned happiness. So many of us in the New Age culture, which, by the way, basically the whole book is written about me. Uh, so every dysfunction that is portrayed as glorious grandeur in the book it, it's about me, truly it is. So so many of us in the New Age community have um, a, a psych, what I'll call a psychological dysfunction where we deny our emotions, but we rationalize it with this beautiful spiritual justification of, well, you just uh, got to choose happiness and, and it's all oneness, so just be in bliss. And when we kind of stop and get real, put our feet on the fucking floor for a second, we realize there is a difference between being in bliss versus speaking words about bliss to convince our mind that we're in bliss, even though we're not, all as a mechanism to deny emotions that we don't have the courage to face. And ironically, we do that and justify it as ah, those emotions that are so negative that we call them negative emotions and don't even question why we are so judgmental about our own emotions that our own heart generates. So we do that and somehow believe that makes us more spiritual because it's just all a, a mechanism of the denial. But maybe if we actually stop thinking and start feeling about it, we might realize like the words of Carl Jung, he says, our feelings are the language of our soul. So what if the very thing we're denying our negative emotions and our positive emotions, but when we deny our painful emotions and believe that makes us more spiritual, bring in the wisdom of Carl Jung, what if we realize, wow, Feeling those emotions is actually the thing that will make you the most spiritual. It's the language of your soul. It gives you a direct connection to your soul. So, yeah, for me, I, I love to question everything we think. Mm -hmm. So when we think we're uh, just going towards bliss and happiness, like maybe we are. But also, can we consider the possibility we might be avoiding an aspect of our human nature that is sacred, divine, yet 
it might be painful and tough to deal with at times. It is a tightrope to walk, to be clear and sincere and honest with yourself, face those inner things which we don't want to face, and yet at the same time understand we are not any of those things. And uh, it's a tough thing. You know, we used to, do you know who Trumpa Rinpo, uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche is? Yes. So we used to see him back in the day, you know, before he died. And he knew we were all, came out of this tradition with Neem Karoli Baba. And, uh, and of course, Ramdas was, uh, was the leader of the pack. And he used to call us, yes, those love and light people over there. That's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Love and light people. So we and we didn't self-identify that way very much. <laughs> but yeah, we were the love and light people to the Buddhists. Oh God. And I, you know, and love and light. I, I think bad words, by love... the way. Love and light. Both of them are really bad words. So is new age. Never say new age. That's a terrible word. I spent twenty years of the record company doing anti-new age music, basically. <laughs> I love it. You know, when it just it jumps into my mind when we we use the word love so trivially, and that's why I love how he would talk about you love and light kids, and mm-hmm. yeah, I'm there too. Um, you know, I, I think what real love is, uh, it's so unconditional that we would love and accept even the parts of ourselves that don't feel love and acceptable. But I think when we're in the what might be the superficial new age mentality where we're kind of like practicing spiritual bypassing, but we call it spirituality. Uh, We love to love the parts of us that feel lovable. We love to accept the parts of us that feel acceptable and then do our best to suppress the rest into the shadow and hope we never encounter it Mm. and pretend it's not there. Mm. However, there there's, you know, my bubble has been shattered uh, thankfully, and also frustratingly, where at least a truth of mine is that which we don't know about ourselves controls us more than what we do know about ourselves. So I think what we're trying to avoid about self can very easily start to run our lives. And we can look and f- look at all the ways we self-sabotage, be it relationships, maybe money, business, maybe friendships, maybe just satisfaction and maybe uh, all those ways that we self-sabotage are because we're unconsciously controlled by what we're consciously trying to continually avoid about self. So I I do, I I have a lot of respect for the word love. And to me, it's all encompassing. It's unconditional acceptance of self. Now, those of us that did make it over to be with this Siddha, amazing being named Karoli Baba, um, so people say, well, how did you get lucky to do that? And we didn't get lucky. Uh, You know, stuff like that, about meeting the true guru, all that kind of thing, which is a lot of, I mean, you know, part of the Love Serve Remember Foundation, which is my other job aside from podcasting, uh, is I hear a lot of that. How do we get that? And so on. Mm. So that's a whole other discussion on another <laughs> level, but uh, at another time, rather. Uh, but I would like to say that 
because we're talking about love. So I'm going to in- interject something uh, with gravitas. <laughs> those people, those of us, we obviously were so screwed up that we needed, that it was going to be maybe impossible that we would be able to have that unconditional inner reflection of love for ourselves that we were so messed up in a certain way and probably i would say because you can't meet somebody like that unless you've done tons of lifetimes of 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 spiritual work whatever but i think uh maybe it was around arrogance that might have been what it was that 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 we all held in common that needed to get Mm. hammered out uh so that it prevented that kind of unconditionality so it took actually being with somebody who wasn't unconditional. I mean, there wasn't. He didn't do love anything or anything. He was just a pool that was that mm-hmm. that you just were in that pool if you were within whatever. In fact, you didn't have to even be in the physical thing. So we got that example, and thank God because it it allowed us to even start to think that we could love the shadows inside ourselves. I mean, and that's yeah. been a lifetime of work. I mean, I've been doing this for decades and, and it's still all out there. It's, you know, as Ramda said, yeah. he said once, you know, I've been doing this forever. And, you know, I met with a friend of mine from my Harvard days and he said, Dick, you're the same guy. You know, this is after he was Ramdas and everything. And Ramdas thought and said, Yeah, you know, I got the same shit going on. But now, <laughs> you know what? He said, Now uh, I have little schmooze, not big schmooze <laughs> that I'm dealing with. <laughs> and that's I it. love it. That's it. That's that's what happens. It's it's the uh, a very, very it, slow it, evolvement. And and I and I love the humbleness. Like, yeah, it is slow evolvement. I, I guess that's why they call it evolving. Yeah. Right, uh, rather yeah. than some kind of in, use some kind of instantaneous word. Yeah. But something else I love about your story is, you know, when you go over to the great guru, you know, you're, you point out like, oh, you love and light people. And you to me, that that stage of wanting to you know, just instantly be enlightened or even wanting to be enlightened at all. Like we're how egotistical of us to want yeah. to be enlightened. But nonetheless, that stage of spiritual bypassing, to me, that is a very real, maybe even necessary stage on so many of our uh, journeys of spirituality. And I, I think it's healthy when we can allow it to be a stage you know, we we grow into it, then we grow beyond it. I think where the mindset of spiritual bypassing works against us is when we get stuck in it rather than letting it be a step yeah, or two exactly. on our journey. Because I remember you mentioned arrogance, boy, when I was um, in my early 20s. I was taking my first weekend workshop with uh, a man. He's become a great mentor, great friend. And a guy named John McMullen. So I rocked up to this workshop so arrogant. I was just like, I'm going to learn, you know, some healing stuff to heal other people because they need it. I don't. I haven't even cried for six years. (laughs) That makes me a sociopath. (laughs) So then it was the afternoon of the first day. I'm in tears. You know, he's a very wise man. He knew what to bring up inside of me to connect me with me. So 
up until that point, and it, it certainly continued, but I started to have some shattering of my need to spiritually bypass. Like I want to be spiritual because that will make me better than everybody else. I think is like that was the core mindset driving me. But without that egotistical motivation to get into spirituality and connecting to myself, I don't know that I could have like gone beyond it uh, into greener pastures that I didn't really know existed. You know, it's kind of like I had to take the first three steps before I knew how to get to the fourth step. So to me, I, I actually have a lot of respect for spiritual bypassing as long mm. as we can recognize when we're doing it so that we can actually have it be a step rather than a sticking point. Yeah. It's how long you, you know, indulge is part of it. <laughs> I have a, a funny story. Uh, Duncan Trussell, who uh, I mentioned before, he, he comes out and we do these retreats in Maui uh, in the spring and uh, in at the end of the year with Ram Dass and Krishnas and all kinds of great teachers, Jack Cornfield, Sharon, yeah. so, you know, uh, wonderful teachers and he comes out and we do podcast stuff and we work with Ram Dass and and so on and we did this thing it was a live podcast kind of thing at the retreat in which uh, Jack Hornfield and Sharon Salzberg were there and and he's and talking about different practices that people can use to get more connected with their true selves and so on and he said <laughs> Well, I want to know if something I'm doing is a practice. Okay. They said, what, what's that? He said, let's see, sitting around watching games, Game of Thrones and drinking a bottle of Bacardi uh, and getting into a really, really equiminous kind of place. <laughs> I think it was that. I'm pretty sure that's kind of what he said. But then I realized... What am I doing to myself, right? What am, how am I indulging in this way and wasting my time and, and so on and so forth? And so that's a practice, right? I had awareness. It was a practice. And they said, so, I, and I've done it more than once. <laughs> so they said, well, of course, that could be a practice, but not more than once, <laughs> Sharon said. <laughs> And that's the key to the whole thing, uh, is how much we indulge uh, anything to keep us from facing whatever it is we need to f And not just facing stuff, but f it keeps us from, oh, well, I can't meditate because my mind goes all over the place. And it's, it's very uncomfortable. And I certainly, maybe sometimes I can do it once in a blue moon. Those kinds of thoughts that one takes seriously, like you're the only person in the world who has trouble meditating, like what are you talking about, or whatever practice it may be. So uh, I I think that how long you may indulge in spiritual bypassing is is something to consider. Yeah, and something that. I think is very helpful for me uh, in order to not indulge longer than is necessary is to continually remind myself the path I take to find myself will become the path I lose myself on if I stay attached to that exact path practice for too long. 
you know, the pants I wore when I was in third grade fit me really well then, served me well. But if I stay attached to them, they're going to be a force of constriction. Um, so I, I think a lot of us can use spiritual practices to actually avoid spiritual connection mm -hmm. because they worked for us for a while. And I think it's the, our human heart, spiritual nature to always want to grow and expand. So one, you know, one of the deeper underlying messages that is intended to be uh, in the undercurrent of my whole book is inviting people to take a look at that which has served you, but no longer serves you and move beyond it. Yeah. Well, I, I want to, one last thing, we're getting close uh, to our, uh, the end of the show, but there's just something I have to read one more thing from the book, okay? Yes. I really want to give people an idea. Everybody out there, this is this is something it's at least you could you could have it in the bathroom too, you know. This is great material because you can just pick up anywhere and read anything and it's cool, you know. You don't have to have a link from sure. one end to the other. So this is around and this is a a, a very obviously sensitive subject to someone mm. like me mm. deliverance of your guru because there's such a thing about gurus that is so it's like love uh, you know you're the he's the guru of you know dry cleaning and <laughs> i have a dry cleaning guru he's just the best dry cleaner uh, so that word is completely and then uh, all the way to even even saints you know, it's hard to be a saint in the city is really the truth. Uh, so deliverance of your guru. Your guru delivers prepackaged enlightenment right to your doorstep. Only better because it's packaged inside of him. Gurus come from a lineage of other gurus who were illumination carrying UPS men. After spending enough time meeting the expectations of their guru, your guru became filled up with enough high vibrational vibrations that he realized that he didn't need the middleman of his guru. He realized that he, too, could be a middleman. The illumination that guru, the illumination that gurus guarantee doesn't come easy. There's no guarantee. And it takes a lifetime of struggle for you to achieve it. So much so that you might not achieve it in this lifetime. You might not. <laughs> but they wouldn't be doing their job and you wouldn't need to keep needing them to do their job if they gave it to you all at once. <laughs> I'm, I'm amused you got a kick out of that and I know you, because you've been involved in you know, the well, world you're well, in. A lot no, of forget it. I, no, there's I a, appreciate you. Appreciate I've actually that, sat in front of Neem Karoli Baba and had the thought, Look, this is just painful as hell to realize I am the worst piece of shit that ever lived. Every thought that I have is selfish, and I'm self-interested from morning till night, and I see this is not reality. And, and so just because he also used to just do that, and people go into complete smoddy and stuff. So I, we know and so many miracles happened that we knew he could do anything. So if you can do anything, what the hell? just change me now i can't stand it just do it we all had that thought ramdas actually oh here's a great story okay ramdas krishna just told the story of the last retreat ramdas said to him said to neem karoli Baba, you know would you please raise my kundalini 
okay, and, and do it. And Maharaji said, you know, I don't know much about Kundalini, but there's a, a there's this saint down in South India. He knows a lot about that. He does all these miracles. You maybe should go over there. And Ramdas said, "No, Maharaji, I need you to raise my. I need to get. You know." And he got frustrated. Ramdas and, and Maharaji said again, "I don't know that stuff. You that there's that guy. He's down the road. You should go see him." And of course, in, in I'm using a. A Western dialectic in his uh, way as a Indian man, he would have said it. Ramdas still persisted. You got to do this. And and you know Maharaji said to him finally, I only know two things: Ra and Ma. Rama. That's it. And that, uh, you know, I, I mean, to me, that is the only. The only ultimate truth that that I know and uh, that I fall back on whenever I go through the uh, how many pages is this book? 248 pages of stuff that we get into that we must look at, us, at, at ourselves and go, OK, we're pretty funny, really. And we're just humans <laughs> trying to do our thing. You know, we're OK. And we you know, we got. Yeah, Rama or whatever Rama is to you. Yeah. So. Well, amen to that. I would just add on. Uh, Oscar Wilde said something along the lines of, "Life is too important to take seriously." Mm-hmm. Yeah, love that. Beautiful. This is so great, JP. God bless. Yeah, you got to come I'm... and hang with us more. I would absolutely be honored to. It's been. Um, a joy connecting with you today. So I would be honored to uh, have you and I put our heads and hearts together again. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, thank you. And oh, uh, the book, we've said it more than once. We've shown a picture. We've done everything. But go to Amazon and get it, would you? So that, uh, and use our link off of BeHereNowNetwork.com. We'd appreciate it. JP's going to appreciate it. Sounds True is going to appreciate it. And there'll be this, this giant appreciation club. Uh, around this because you are going to appreciate the book for sure and uh and and have fun with uh, jp give give the youtube channel again and facebook yeah you can find me on youtube awaken with jp yeah so take advantage of that and and again i thank you for being with us this is mind rolling on the be here now network see you next week